Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and the Rambling Runner Podcast is here for all the dedicated amateur runners to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today, I am excited to bring you a podcast with Natalie Hopkins. First of all, Natalie didn't start out as a runner. She was a Division One swimmer at Syracuse. She had a very strong swimming background and even was a record holder at Syracuse before graduating in 2011. She quickly converted over from swimming into running, uh, and not just running at any level, but actually going into marathons, which wasn't that big of a stretch given her aerobic background with swimming, but while that distance might not have been that big of a surprise, her success in the sport certainly would be when you consider just the the very unique way she trains compared to the way most dedicated amateur runners train. I don't want to give up exactly what it is. You'll be able to hear in this episode um, what she does and, frankly, my surprising reaction to how she she trains um, because it is uh, is certainly unique, but it definitely works for her. And... um, even past that point, we talk a lot about a uh, accident she had in 2013. So two years into her running career, um, she was in a, a bike uh, accident where she was on a bike and got hit by a car. It really banged her up for a long time. Uh, her leg, uh, she had uh, some brain injuries as well. Actually, if you look at the podcast graphic on Instagram for this episode, if you swipe right, you actually can see a picture of all of the uh, the plates and screws that were put into her leg. And yet, a year later, she was towing the Boston Marathon line on the very day, one year later, of her accident Um just a lot of really good stuff from Natalie in this episode. I certainly hope you enjoy it. Before we get into it, I do want to give a shout out to all the people who have given reviews of the podcast on iTunes. I really appreciate it. We've had 22 reviews so far. Almost all of them have been five-star, which, uh, frankly, it just makes me feel good. It's nice knowing that you enjoy the episodes, and the more you, um, I guess the more you review it, the better it is going to get out there. So if you like it, if you think other people will like it, then review the podcast. I certainly appreciate it, and it kind of puts it out there for other people uh, to come in contact with it. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode with Natalie, and if you do, check out her website at www.betterstrongertougher.com. Thanks again, and happy running. Hi, Matt. Hello, Natalie, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I've been looking forward to talking. I know we connected about a month ago, and I've been looking forward to get this one uh, get this one going. Oh my gosh, me too. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, just to uh, do a quick bio for our listeners, I'm talking to Natalie Hopkins. Natalie was a competitive swimmer from a young age and then progressed pretty rapidly up to uh, up to Syracuse University, where she uh, was a record holder at Syracuse and then started her running journey right after graduation. So 2011, she started running and, you know, kind of took to it pretty quick, right? <laughs> so you started doing, started doing a great job. And when you have that aerobic background in, in swimming, it's, a, it's not, I guess it's not a coincidence. But then um, in 2013, Natalie had a traumatic bike accident um, well, with a car, and basically for the next year, it was a, a tough go of it. So it had a brain injury and was unable to walk for months. But then, wouldn't you know it, exactly one year from the date of that crash, she ran and completed the Boston Marathon. And not only did she complete it, 
but ran it 12, second fa- 12 seconds faster than she ran it in 2012. And then this year, as great as that was, I don't know. I'm trying to think about the highlights of your running career, Natalie, as short as it is. There already are so many. But this was a great year for you, setting PRs not only in the half marathon, but the full marathon as well. So thank you so much for joining us, and I'm excited to dive in. Oh, my gosh. I'm, you can't see me right now because this is radio, but I'm blushing. So thank you. <laughs> oh, that's that's good to hear. Well, I'll tell you. So for you, why? I guess we'll just start. We'll start from the beginning. Um, why did why did you take to swimming early on? Great question. So I um, grew up in a pretty small town in Connecticut. And so, so I live in Rhode Island. So where in Connecticut? So Suffield, Connecticut. Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. That's actually, that's where my grandma lived. I spent a lot of time when Get I was out. like three and four years old. Yeah, we called her Graham from Suffield. That was like, you know, you have so many grandmas, they all have different names. So for me, that was Graham from Suffield was my grandma's name. That is the smallest world because, as you know, this is an extremely small town. Oh, yeah, for <laughs> so sure. what are the odds? Oh, that's so funny. Well, yeah, I grew up um, in tiny little Suffield, Connecticut, and there it was a huge soccer community. I remember that from growing up and it just wasn't my sport. Um, and I kind of stumbled into swimming, going to just the local country club here as a kid, joined the swim team at the Suffield Country Club and loved it. So my parents put me into um, competitive club swimming and I just never looked back. I just kind of kept going and no pun intended, dove headfirst into it. Yeah, well, swimming is one of those sports, which especially for a youth swimmer, is um, it's a big time grind between just the hours in the pool and the times with which you practice. What were some of the what for you? What was the hardest part about swimming and what, what kind of set you apart from, from some of the other kids who also tried to get into it at the same level you did? It's that's so spot on. And it's funny that you bring that up because my dad and I were both talking about this I'm home actually right now in Connecticut for the holidays and we were talking about how you know I'm doing all this training for running and marathon right now and we were talking about how you know as a 15 year old I was working out about 30 hours a week good god (laughs) it's insane like just like looking back and and just recognizing that you know as a young kid I was just constantly you know, in this state of training. Um, So I think honestly, the hardest part was just that it was just that all of my time, when I wasn't sleeping, eating or in school, I was training. Um, The club team that I swam for, we didn't have an off day, we swam seven days a week, nine practices a week, and then you did, you know, meets on the weekend. And it was just intense. I loved it. I I don't think as a kid you can do something that intense without truly loving it. And I really just loved competing against myself. And so I think that just stuck and made it all worth it. But yeah, the time commitment was a lot. That was the hardest part. Yeah, I can imagine. But at the same time, I'm just trying to put myself in your your swim trunks, I guess. (laughs) I'll say shoes, but we're not talking about running right now. Um, And at the same time, as as intense as the, the time commitment would be, mm-hmm. how would it feel for you just, just going through school? I, and I put this in context of, you know, anyone who listens to this probably has some experience with Rich Roll, whether it's reading his book, which was really well done, or listening to his podcast as well. And he, I think, like many people who 
chronicle their early swim life. Talk about just the grind of like just sitting through school was tough because you were oh, just yeah. so darn exhausted. 100%. That's what I remember from school, to be honest with you, is just um, fighting to stay awake and not get in trouble. <laughs> it's not like that's kind of just my biggest memory from school, even as a collegiate athlete, um, was just always being tired and being lulled to sleep in a matter of seconds. Um, so yeah, that's, that's nail on the head. That's what it was like. And did, was it the same experience in college? For you yes. in terms of just the exhaustion and all of that, because that's one thing that I always wondered for swimmers about when they go to college was because you have such a structured life mm-hmm. in high school that it's almost a kid who has like overactive, like right. all of a sudden become this wild child. that's like, hey, freedom, like I can do all these things now, you know, because you, you might not be a parent associated. But for you, you had that same sort of high school career where it's like, I can't go out crazy because right. I have to swim all these n- nutty hours. Right. Um, so did you have that same sort of experience in college or was it just more of the same as, as your high school years? It was similar. Um, I think in college, the thing that was a little crazy was that, you know, as a high school athlete, I was training so much that I really didn't have much of a high school experience, if you will. Like I was never going out on the weekends. I was never, you know, going to parties on Friday nights or anything like that. So when I got to college and I didn't, you know, there's more just time to yourself in that way. Like, you know, you're not sitting in school for eight hours a day, like you're going to class and you've got to figure it all out on your own. Um, So I definitely had fun in college. I think anyone who goes to Syracuse or is familiar with the school knows that it's an incredibly fun school. So I wasn't about to waste any opportunity for fun. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was still just, you know, time in the pool, time in class, time just trying to stay, you know, above water. Again, no pun intended, but. Oh, you're you're, you're solid with the swimming pools. You got it down. (laughs) Come down, Natalie. Um. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point. And then I think the, the, the perception of a D1 athlete for people who are kind of in the Olympic sports genre mm-hmm. is that it's, it's some pe- people who aren't familiar with it, I think, would be surprised at that it's not like this hype-driven community of like, you know, like also you have all you know a ton of fans watching your your meets and oh, yeah. you know games and things like that. Then it's you know for for the Olympic sport athlete. The, the perception of D1 usually is far more hyped up than the actual reality when you experience it. 100%. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, at swim meets, it was, like, you know, parents who lived somewhat local would, like, drive in. And, like, <laughs> you know, like, that was, like, the people at our meets, like, cheering. And otherwise, you know, you're really truly just doing it for yourself, which is, I think, kind of what made the transition into running so easy for me it was just because it's been so much of the same with swimming so so when you that's a great way that's a great way of putting it so you're doing it for yourself because you're not doing it for the accolades or the promotion or anything like that even though it's like hey everyone knows of syracuse university not only is it a high caliber academic institution but it's a high quality athletic one as well Mm -hmm. and yet you know you're in the pool you know it's not as you're going to be able to hear fans anyway when you're, when you're, you know, your head's down in the water, but it, right. it is a very different experience. And as someone who works at Providence College now, I've built, I'm, I see it on a daily basis, you know, for those sports, it's, it's, uh, it's very similar. And yet at the same time, we you say you do it for yourself. What about competing in the day-to-day practicing for, you know, decades on end at some point that really, really meshed with your personality? 
this is uh, something that I have been thinking about like so, so much in this past year, more than any time in my life, because I've actually feel like I have re found myself as an athlete this year. Um, and there is something to be said for me and just having that athletic like source of just like channeling challenges that come up if this makes any sense so I think just you know as we go through life like life just gets harder you know and you keep coming up on challenges and it just doesn't get easier and I think what happens is that like you learn how to prepare yourself better and you learn how to you know learn from experiences and keep working and keep pushing forward and going even when you don't have a choice um I don't know if I'm making any sense or if I'm just rambling but (laughs) I no that that definitely (laughs) makes sense it definitely makes sense so I think that you know for me it's just kind of having this and being able to put things in perspective that you know being like doing this for myself like training is just helping to ground me a little bit and to make me a stronger version of myself so not only is it just for me but it's you know and how I show up for my work and my family and my friends and all of those things it's just kind of the building blocks of creating a a strong person right and for you what was is everyone's wired so differently mm-hmm. right so for you if this never was even um, of consequence, you know, please feel free to say it, but say you had, whether it was in high school or in college, you know, you had one of those days or one of those weeks where you're, you're, you look yourself in the mirror or you look at your, you know, your 3.45 a.m. alarm clock <laughs> or, what other, or whatever ungodly hour you're waking up and you say to yourself, I'm just not feeling it anymore. Did, did you ever experience that? Or oh. if you did, what was, what was it that you, was your go-to mantra or self-motivation or, or, or other people that you leaned on to kind of get you out of those doldrums? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and I think this is a thing too, where coming back to exactly my point is like, you know, that that's just life. Like every, I know every athlete that I know has had days or weeks or years even where, you know, maybe not a year, but I hope, but months where you just don't want. To well, you had a year. You had a year. I you had 2013. I did have 2013. That's, that's fair. Um, you know, and I just, I think there that for me, like the mantra mantra was just to keep going. I think um, there's just like something inherently that I know. And even still when those mornings crop up and I don't want to do it, where it's just remembering why I'm doing it in the first place. And just knowing that you, you don't get anything that you truly want by taking the the thing that feels comfortable in the moment. So, so in 2011, when you mm-hmm. finished college, you finished your, your swimming career, did you have an eye towards running at that point? Or like, did, you, did, you, did you foresee the transition? Something that you kind of felt your way so, through? I had a pretty interesting collegiate career in that I uh, signed my letter of intent with Syracuse um, in, I think I signed in the fall of my senior year of high school. And in the spring, right, right after, um, I think this was right after the graduation. So whenever college graduation is, the school called and said that they were cutting the swimming and diving program. 
that I would have the opportunity to swim for one year um, and that they would be cutting the team thereafter. And so this is the spring, <laughs> you know, I cannot. Goodness gracious. Yeah, I, it was devastating. I just remember being so upset. You know, I always just envisioned myself, you know, swimming all four years of college and I had, you know, aspirations to go to the Olympic trials and all of these things and, you know, figured out what I was going to do, decided to go, I would swim the one year and figure it out. So as it turned out, um, you know, we fought pretty hard to keep the program and they decided to do more of a phase out. So what happened was I swam my freshman year, I swam my um, sophomore year. And at that point, the team was pretty small, right? So the seniors that graduated my sophomore year, um, they were carrying a bulk of the team. There was a lot of them. And I ended up not swimming my junior year and senior year. The team was pretty small. Um, and it just was not something I wanted to keep doing at that point. It wasn't how I envisioned my collegiate career. So swam two years and that was it. So, um, yeah, I actually only swam those two. <laughs> okay. Got it. So then, so then at that point you're an active person, you're obviously pretty high energy. Anyone mm -hmm. listening to this podcast can hear that <laughs> loud and clear. And, um, so again, you know, going into marathoning right away, I mean, that's not, you know, that's a pretty big step, you know, especially with some, you know, even for someone who has a big time aerobic background. Um, so what was the thinking for you? And was it purely, you know, reflection and trying to figure out what you liked personally? Or did you have other people telling you, hey, you should give this a try? Yeah. So when um, my, you know, collegiate career ended, I pretty much took all of my junior year of college and I just was a college kid. Um, I wasn't an athlete and, you know, I kind of loved it. I hadn't had this much free time in a long time. And by my senior year, um, it was like right after my um, first, um, I started to actually really struggle with some anxiety and depression. And I was, you know, at a kind of in hindsight, I look back and I think I just, you know, I had this huge part of my life that you know, I just largely defined myself as an athlete. And all of a sudden, I didn't have that. And I wasn't identifying as an athlete any longer. And for, for whatever reason, I just decided to start running, probably because it's the most natural transition, I kind of think, from being a distance swimmer is to be a distance runner. So I just start running while I'm home in Connecticut um, on break. And, you know, I, I remember I ran up to, I think I ran like six miles and I was like oh like it, it just like it feels so much greater once you know you get past that like five mile barrier which I still think is such a thing after mile five it all feels incredible um but I was talking to a friend who went to Boston College and she had run the Boston Marathon as a bandit runner the year before and she was like you should do it you should just bandit run the Boston marathon. I mind you, I'd never run a road race in my entire life. So this, so this is, this is just <laughs> jumping into the race. It's like screw qualifying. Literally. I don't need a BQ. I don't need $5,000 yep. of philanthropy. Yep. I am just going to jump into this sucker. Yes. So this is, this is in 2011 um, that I decided to do this. And this was really, and I mean, bandit running is never encouraged, but this was a little bit before, 
it was like completely banned. Like I'm pretty sure now no one does that. So did did you have like a fake bib? Like did you even nope. like do you try to pretend? <laughs> no. <Nope>. Oh okay. <laughs> like just nothing. So it, and so like the kids from Boston College, like they would all run in these. Like my friend who did it, she, you know, they have like these special shirts and they're BC colors, and it's just all these bandit running college kids. Um, and I was like, I'm a college kid. I mean, I don't go to school in Boston, but what the heck? So <laughs> that was how I did it. First race I've ever run in my life was the Boston. Hold, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. So you had literally never run any race of any distance. No. no. Before the. So. D- <laughs> all right. So going into that race, I had. A, sorry. Did you have certain. Do you have goals in mind besides like, you know dating anyone trying to rip you off the course (laughs) no I I honestly just I felt like I needed it so badly like to just kind of connect me to being an athlete again to you know give me that athletic sense of accomplishment that I've kind of been living off of to be fair my whole life um and I just wanted to finish it I just wanted to have that feeling and that was just what I was training for and running for and I was just trying to you know through all the training I was pushing myself you know out of that pretty devastating bout of anxiety and depression and it was everything like it like sounds so dramatic to say it but it like it kind of saved my identity well I'm sure I'm sure it sure it was very real to you at the time that's for sure and you know it's um so before we get into that, which I have a bunch of questions about, um, mm-hmm. do you, did you do you remember your time for 2011? You know, so I was I didn't even have a watch. I had like my iPod, so I just like looked at the time on my iPod when I started running, and looked at the time on my iPod when I finished. Um, and I want to say, I think it took me like four hours and uh, twenty minutes, maybe. Okay, got it. I think, yeah. All right, so. I have a, I just recorded a podcast last week with Matt Fitzgerald. Yes. Best-selling author of, of I don't know, three dozen, four dozen books at this time. <laughs> Casual. Between running, between running, triathlon, and nutrition. Um, and one of the books he's working on right now, one of the three books he's working on right now, um, and anyone who's listening to this podcast will have heard, may have heard the Matt Fitzgerald podcast, which will come out um, a few days after we're recording this, frankly, is – um talking about the mental effects of running and exercise and which is an area that he really hasn't really delved into in the past. You know, we talked about it just because uh, the, the, the person whose podcast I released today, Liz, uh, Liz Farrow, who runs girls with soul organization, whole organization is based on improving the lives of abused girls from the ages of nine to 18 and trying to, you know, to improve their lives and defeat that adversity through exercise and community so for you, it was. It doesn't have to. This is not an either or question. It can be both. Certainly, is that for you? Was getting was the cause of depression and anxiety, and then of it was it the of something in terms of structure and athletics and things like that, or was it more of like, hey, if I don't like, or was it more like, hey, I need to move in order to be myself. Yeah, I I think it's honestly the former. I completely thrive off of having structure and 
and balance and you know that those challenges and all of that so I, I really think yeah it was the former I missed that I needed it right and I think a lot of athletes who whenever they end up giving it up we talk, I've talked to a lot of people on this podcast who have basically said hey I started running in my mid to late 20s and they all have pretty a lot of people have this similar like I was a high school athlete and then I didn't do it any longer. And then I had some sort of physical regression. Then I was like, Hey, I got to get back into it. And then they got back mm-hmm. into it. And then it was like, they just dove head first and it changed their life. And then not everyone experiences the and anxiety piece. And obviously it's a very personal thing. Right. So for you, how quickly did you feel the change once you started running seriously? Um, it was gradual because I remember being back at, I started to kind of feel super anxious. I remember right before I came back to school and, you know, I remember being at school and that was when it was at, at its worst. And I knew the only thing that was helping me to really feel better was when I was going out and running just long runs. Um, and so I think it was gradual. I don't, I don't remember a point in time where I was like, Oh, I'm better now. <laughs> it right. was, it was definitely, um, an ongoing challenge. And that takes a lot of commitment. Remember, we're, you're placing you here. You're in, you're in Syracuse, New York in the winter. <laughs> in the winter. Like out. So you're not talking about on a treadmill here. And maybe you do some treadmill work as well. But I just said your, right. your, your choice of language was interesting because it takes a lot of commitment to, to do, to, hey, you know, it's, it's 10 degrees. And then it's, you know, it's negative four wind chill. And it's like, hey, this is what I do now. I go for runs right. out. Yeah. It's a whole different ball game for hey no I'm running in a you know swimming in a pool from you know from a weather a temperature control situation it's it's very different um, every time I've you know this is this is an aside every single time I've driven through Syracuse which has been about a dozen times it snowed while I was driving through <laughs> and hard. usually usually it like starts and ends at the beginning and end of the city limits it's hysterical <laughs> it's like it's like there's just this cloud on top of the city um, crazy you know it's like, it's like you know it's like the the it's like a peanuts. Where like the kid, oh, yeah, you know, the, the character has just rain on him the whole time. Yes, That's... my yeah, my dad used to call it the snow globe because he was like, it's a very like start and finish like point of just weather change once you drive in there. There you go, and you're also you're doing this in college, which at the time, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do find it interesting because you're a senior, you're senior. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, hey, let's enjoy our senior year. Who knows where we're going to move after this? You want to enjoy life. And at the right. same time, you're experiencing this, like, you know, mental and emotional, like, re- revolution on the side here with the running. Right. So was it hard to mesh the two? Or both? Totally. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, well, and I remember, I mean, the anxiety that I was experiencing was, I mean, the most crippling I, you know, even still have ever experienced where, you know, just talking to people was challenging. Like, I just was so... I was in such a rough place that like holding a conversation that made any sense <laughs> was a struggle. Um, so I didn't even really want to socialize when I was, you know, at that point. Um, Cause I was like, I just, I need to get my head bound straight. Like things just aren't right. Right. Um, so, I mean, towards the end, I mean, I'm, and the marathon is in April. So I remember um, I ran it and I came back to school and, you know, I had all my fun and I was in a much better place then, but, yeah, it was tough. And, and like, yeah, I think you instill like, this is something I'm kind of still struggling with is, you know, how do you explain to people 
you know, I, I'm not really going to stay out late tonight or I'm not really going to have that extra glass of whatever because I'm going to wake up and run 20 miles in the morning. Like, it's still a hard thing, I think, even as an adult. So, you're, You know, you're right. It's, I do experience him that same feeling of like, Hey, I'm like, you know, whether it's like, I don't want to feel ostracized and the same. And at the same time, I also like also worry that like, Hey, I don't want people to think that like, I'm trying to be antisocial, but at the same right. time, like I've also had the same conversation with people who be like, Hey, I was on the other side of that conversation. I was like, damn, I wish I was doing that. Right. You know, totally. but, it's, but it's hard to get outside of your own head. It, totally. You know, where you feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm the bummer of the party and you know, <laughs> all that. Um, all right, so you graduate 2011. So for the next year and a half, I'm sorry, the next almost almost exactly two years, dedicate yourself to running. So what did that look like for you in terms of making that a full time thing? And I should say at the same time, you know, how did that work with your professional career? Yeah, so I, um, you know, I got out of like you know the swimming career, and I actually started coaching swimming because you know I clearly still really missed it. So. Um, I was a swim coach and I remember like, I've just always had jobs in the athletic side of the industry in some capacity. So I was coaching swimming. I was working for, um, city sports back in Boston. They don't even exist anymore, but it was a little athletic store in Boston. Um, and you know, I just kind of had time to run and I was just going out and running. I don't even really remember, to be honest, I think just kind of whatever felt good or I felt like doing that day. And um, yeah, that was, that was it. I don't remember it being like too hard of a balance. Cause I feel like in my professional life, I've always created space for the athletic ventures that I've wanted to pursue. So, all right. So I'm leading this up to the bike accident that you had in 2013. So prior, yeah. so prior to that day, what was the highlight of your running career? Mm. What was the highlight before that? I think probably, do you mean like from when I graduated college up until that point? Or yeah, like ex exactly. No, exactly. So like that two-year span from 2011 to 2013. I would have to say that it was finishing the 2012 Boston Marathon. That was to date still like it, it was super hot. I don't know if. Um, no, I remember. remember. I was, was a New Englander. Yeah, I absolutely remember oh, that. It was like, I mean, still to this day, I'm like, that was the hottest I've ever been in my life. <laughs> and I think just finishing that one, um, you know, it wasn't my fastest and I kind of had to check my ego at the door, which I don't think is ever an easy thing to do when you're competing. Um, but yeah, that was probably the proudest I think I've felt. Okay, so walk us through the, the, the accident day. What what happened? What was that day like for you? You know, as soon as you get into the hospital, and then when you get the the diagnosis of what? Yeah. So I um. So the Boston Marathon bombing had happened earlier that week, um, and I was at Heartbreak Hill cheering, and you know, I worked on Newberry Street at the time in Boston, and I remember just everything was just it was just horrific. Like in the city, like everyone felt it. it was just sad. Um, so I remember on the day that it happened, I, I remember like still feeling like just in a funk, like it was just a bummer of a day. And I, you know, like clearly I'm sure you picked up 
on now, but when I'm feeling upset, you know, I just kind of lean on exercise. And so I had rented um, one of those little hubway bikes, like a city bike, and I didn't have a helmet. And I borrowed the bike to come home. I'd run to a bar class and I was going to bike home because the idea of running home just seemed like too much at that point. So I'm biking home and I don't have a helmet and I get hit on Mass Ave in Boston. Which is, which is, if you don't know Boston, it's one of the major roads in Boston, but it's like only it's like single lane each way. And it's just like crazy, right. crazy heck. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that, you know, I don't remember much, obviously, because I got a pretty nasty brain injury from it. Um, but I remember waking up in the hospital, however, much later after it had happened, um, and just being confused. I just remember, like, that's kind of the memory from it, is just being so out of it um, for the whole time that I was at Mass General Hospital. So I was there for about a week. And um, the accident happened where, so it like the car struck my right leg and shattered my tibia and my fibula. And wow, so both so the major bone below your knee and above. Uh, no, my, sorry, my fibula. So it's okay. just all, yeah. Um, so pretty much just it's from like mid calf on my outer leg all the way down past my ankle. I would advise anybody who we're going to give you your Instagram handle out later check out your february 4th post from this year and you can see the x-rays after the fact and it is intense <laughs> it's crazy my everyone keeps giving me a hard time they're like how do you make it through the airport with all that metal in your leg like you kind of set off all the alarms um but so the, that's that was basically the injury and then i had to go back in for surgery because i was at risk of compartment syndrome which is essentially the muscle from my understanding of it is the muscles growing too big within the fascia. Um, so they have to basically cut open your leg to relieve some of the pressure. So I was in, you know, MGH for about a week managing all of that stuff. And then they moved me for um, recovery and rehabilitation to the Spalding rehab hospital. And so mind you, this is right after the Boston marathon bombing. And uh, it's like, it's a little hard to talk about without getting like choked up, but it was like the, like, uh, it's just the craziest thing to be, you know, in the hospital with all these people who have gone through this insanely traumatic event. And I just remember like in that moment, like just being at the hospital with them and being like, I'm fine. You know, like what happened to me? is nothing and just like seeing these people and just being so inspired and so it was it was intense it was like just a crazy experience um the way that the new hospital is set up is that all of the physical rehabilitation it's this beautiful room it's um it's massive and everybody is kind of doing physical therapy like all together essentially and it's this giant gym um so i just remember seeing so many people you know, the whole gym was pretty much marathon victims and it was insane. So, right. And so what was the, how long were you at the hospital for? Um, I was at Spalding, I think for about another week or a week and a half. So, and then total, it was like two weeks. And you've mentioned that it, t it took you months 
to, to get back to walking. So what yeah. was the, so in terms, so, so, so you had, what was it? Was it like 10 to 12 screws and plus plates in your leg? Yeah. It's uh two rods, I think. And then some, something like however many pins are still in there. So. Okay. So what was the rehab like in terms of like how many days a week and how long and what were some of the major milestones that you, you accomplish on your way to with with all of this being the backdrop of a year later you ran the boston marathon <laughs> which is insane to me it's like doing that on full like on full health is like an, an extreme accomplishment for anybody um so for you what were the major benchmarks in the rehab and what, what did the rehab look like from a, from a time commitment standpoint um <laughs> I remember I, so I couldn't walk or put any pressure on it for a while. And I think in the grand scheme of things, like it probably wasn't nearly as long as it feels when you're going through it. Um, but it was a while that I couldn't put any sort of pressure. I couldn't walk at all. Um, I remember the first, so it's funny. I remember the first time I jogged before I remember the first time I could stand and walk, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, I just remember recovery was slow. Um, and, you know, I just, I was so determined to get back to my life that I just, I remember just pushing through like more than anything. I remember, you know, my mom, God bless her. She was a saint through this whole thing. And she was so like, are you sure? Are you sure? And I was like, I'm sure. Like I'm walking, I'm putting pressure on this. Like I can handle it. Um, I'll listen to my body, but I'm doing this. So let me ask you a question. So you, we've already talked about how in, you're, you're in college when you when you had to basically you were kind of like forced out of the swimming genre, kind of a crazy situation with the program. How when you stopped exercising, mm-hmm. head of level, right? The repercussions of that. So right. did those did those symptoms reappear for you during this process, or were you so involved? in the day-to-day of rehab that that served as the proper athletic mechanism for you to kind of stay um, in the right mental space? Yeah, I remember, um, I I definitely remember feeling sad, like, a lot. Like, just kind of this, like, longing for my old life more than I remember feeling, like, anxious or depressed in the way that I had before. Um, I Honestly, I just remember having my eye on the prize of – you know, getting back to running. And at the time I just started teaching spin right before this accident happened. So I also just like really wanted to get back into that. And I just remember being more determined and focused. And then I remember feeling upset. And it was like the shining light. Right. So then at what point did it go from, Hey, the goal is to get through rehab and come back out of this where feeling 100%, I'm feeling strong, I can run without limping, to then, hey, I have a goal, and not only any goal, but an audacious goal, <laughs> and, like, the, the symmetry beside behind, like, this goal of, like, hey, I'm going to run the Boston Marathon to, like, hey, this was also my first race ever, which I'm still <laughs> trying to process. Um, <laughs> like, what, what was the conversion like for you from, from those two elements? Um. <sighs> Great question. So I remember I didn't, the the way the Boston kind of fell into my lap, if you will, is that I was working for Lululemon on Newberry Street at the time. And one of our um, store ambassadors, he, his name is Wayne Levy. He is incredible. He's 
Um, he runs for the BAA and he's just an all around incredible human. And he had um, some bits that he was graciously giving to a couple of the people who worked at our store. And, you know, a couple of my other friends were gifted bibs and I was like, oh my God, like I really, I want to run, you know? And I, at the time, I, I think I had just kind of started jogging and um, I was doing like some stuff. And I, I remember feeling like, you know, I, I know that I can't give a hundred percent to training this, <clears throat> pardon me, but I, I want to try. I was like, you know, if I have to walk it, fine. But like, I just want to cross that finish line again. Like it's just an incredible race. And so I just, I did it more not for the sake of having any big goal in mind other than to just be able to cross that finish line. So did you ask him or did he offer? He offered. Okay. It was was a gift. Um, And it was like the greatest gift. So and the reason I ask, it isn't to be trite, is just that it, by, by if you had just went out there and offered, it would have been like this big stake in the ground of like, hey, me, not that person. <laughs> Which would, it would have really been like a very a big confidence signal of like, hey, I'm doing this versus right. like, hey, like I'm waiting for somebody to recognize my improvement here. Oh, yeah. No, totally. Um, when did you get that bib? I don't remember, to be honest. Um, Late spring, fall? I, I mean, I'm sorry, late say, summer or fall? I know. I want to I wanna say it was probably like right before. I want to say it was the winter, maybe oh, right wow. this time. Yeah. I didn't do like a, any sort of crazy training. I also love to ski. Um, it's my favorite thing to do. And Yeah, because no, was... one, no one ever gets hurt doing that. Exactly. She's Louise. <laughs> my mom was like, "You." My mom was like, "You're going to give me a heart attack. You, I want to just barrel down a mountain after this crazy accident, and then finish it off by running a marathon." I was like, "It's exactly what I want to do." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. So, you mentioned that you didn't do any crazy training, and yet, as I mentioned in your bio, you ran twelve. Was it twelve minutes faster? Yeah. Than your previous was... PR. So, so what was um? what was the training like for you? Was it like kind of like, was it a linear training model or was it like slow and easy and then like a fast ramp up before the race when you realize, all right, I'm I'm feeling really good here. I think it was really just, you know, I maybe ran like once during the week at like something mid mileage, maybe like a four to a seven. And then I did a long run on the weekends and I was flexible because, you know, I, was working at this point and it was ski season. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got to stop you there. So, so you were running, you were running twice a week. Oh yeah. My jealousy runneth over. Um, <laughs> so, all right. So, so what was, what was your time for that marathon? The Boston marathon 2014. Oh, good question. It was um, under four hours. I remember that. I couldn't tell you. Okay. On that one though. I'm so sorry. Oh, that, that was fine. That's fine. All right. So, and then to put that in perspective, you said, and we're going to dive into your 2017, which was an unbelievable racing season for you. And I'm excited to talk about it, but you set a PR at the uh, Marine Corps Marathon this past October at, in 305, which was a 14-minute yeah. PR improvement for you. All right. So you had, so you ran a sub four for you, but given your athletic livelihood and the background that you had, which was, um, you know, running nine-minute miles probably wasn't that big of a stretch. I guess right. in terms of just, just especially for your lung, lung capacity standpoint, totally. that probably was a complete non-issue. It was more right. just about, is my leg going to fall off? Exactly. Yeah. All right. And how did it feel during the race? I felt great. 
I remember just feeling so good. And, you know, at the time I'd been teaching a lot of spin classes and I still swear by this because it was a lot of what I did training for the Marine Corps too, but the cross training on the bike, like I can't speak enough for it, but it just, you know, it got me super strong without putting a lot of impact on my leg. Um, and I felt amazing. Like I, my friend, somebody somewhere has a video of me running up heartbreak hill and I'm like is that me like I'm just like sprinting like just so happy like (laughs) running up heartbreak hill and it's the coolest thing because I'm like that's actually how I felt like I just felt it felt effortless and fun and I just loved it it's a great day oh I can imagine all right so in your bio on your website which is a which is a really useful website it's uh, www.stronger.tougher.com Um, you talked about how this experience kind of coming back from your accident and then a year later doing the Boston marathon led you to wanting to become a fitness professional. So for you, what did that mean when you wanted to do that? And why exactly did this spawn this, this idea of like, Hey, this is not only going to be like a stop gap. Hey, I teach spin while I'm trying to figure it out to like, no, I figured it out. (laughs) This is what I want to do. And what exactly did that mean? So along this whole crazy journey, um, you know, with being a collegiate athlete and losing athletics and then, you know, getting in this accident, losing athletics and gaining it back. It's just I've truly learned how valuable this is for me personally um, and have just experienced on a personal level just the way that pushing through something that feels hard can make you feel and how it can make you a better person and deliver these tools that are just invaluable to being good at everything that you do and stronger in everything that you do. And I felt so inspired by that feeling and empowered by it that I just made the decision that I wanted to devote the rest of my professional career to helping other people experience that and find that. Um, And it's, I've never looked back and I have loved every second of it and getting to connect with people and, and push people as a spin instructor, Pilates instructor. Um, It's, it's awesome. It's so cool. Right. So you're certified now in indoor cycling, indoor rowing, Legree fitness. I have no idea what that is. And Matt Pilates. Um, And, for you, you mentioned how you want to impact people. Has it come to fruition? Have you had the impact that you were hoping to have? I think, yes. I think, um, yes, and I have a lot of work to do. I think, like, it's kind of one of those jobs where your work is never done. Um, you know, there's always going to be another person who you can touch or inspire or um, encourage. Um, and so I've had so many people come into my life and people who have shared these incredibly kind things about ways that my class or I've, you know, inspired them or pushed them. And that's just, I mean, that's everything. That's why I'm doing it. And it's that little push I need to keep doing it. You know, there's, it's a funny thing when you work for yourself as a fitness instructor, you know, you don't, you're working completely for yourself. You're working at a studio, but you know, you're your own boss at the end of the day and you don't really have a performance review. So, you know, when people share how you've impacted them or the impact you've had on them, it's, 
like that's where you're like okay I get it um you know like I'm I'm either I'm doing something right or I'm not doing something right enough it's it's all just from the way that your clients communicate with you right and I can believe it and so we're right now it is December 26th. It was the day after Christmas. So a lot of people today, they're not going to get this podcast for two weeks, but today, right now, a lot of people are looking at 2018, especially runners, right? They're looking at the race calendar. They're saying, okay, what is this year going to have in store for me? So last year, so on the cusp of 2017, when you were looking towards this year, which turned out to be a, a monumental year for you from a running perspective. What were some of the things that were going through your head from a goals perspective and just the way you wanted to approach the year? It's a great one. Um, I was at the cusp of figuring out that I needed to be an athlete again, that I needed to compete and challenge myself actually, like really, truly, you know, embody an athlete for me again not just you know half in it half out of it well dive dive into that a little bit more because i think anyone who's listening is probably saying hey what do you mean this all you've been talking about is being an athlete up to this point like what (laughs) what what about what preceded that for you was kind of half-ass versus like full force so i think you know in the past when i've run and and you know i've always been active and i've worked out but there's always kind of been a little part of me where my and it's all an internal thing it's completely just my own perception and my own attitude and my attitude in the past had just kind of been well I'm you know I'm going to do this because I've always done this and I'm kind of just going through the motions and I'm doing the thing I know I need to do to just kind of be me but I'm not I hadn't dug deeper I hadn't pushed myself through the things that felt truly hard um and I hadn't really braced. Like I was running and I was running to like, cause even just, you know, that, you know, I'm talking about my previous Boston's and I'm like, I don't really know my time. And <laughs> I just wanted to finish and I was just doing it to do it. Right. Um, and when I was a swimmer, you know, I was working towards a specific time. I was working towards, you know, these very concrete goals. I was, you know, racing people and that, has been the missing link for me was diving 100% back into that side of athletics. And when you say that, is that just physical? Because you've mentioned that 2017 was also a year of self-reflection for you. So what does that mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think, too, even, you know, a lot of my, like, my internal dialogue was me being like, well, you're not good enough to, you know, be that kind of runner or, you're not, there was just a lot of me talking down to myself or creating excuses for myself instead of pushing myself to kind of be my best self or be my most authentic self without playing the, uh, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, like kind of the comparison game a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've just kind of spent a lot of time trying to you know, figure out like what me as an athlete looks and feels like in a way that has me feeling good. And I don't think I'm there yet. I think I've like just, you know, I spent 2017, excuse me, kind of just, you know, chipping away at trying to figure out what that is. But it's, I think it's always just kind of going to be work. So 
Yeah, good point. So the uh, the, the the first, you correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the first major milestone for you uh, in terms of 2017 was the Encinitas Half Marathon down in Southern California um, where you ran a 128, which was a nine-minute PR, which is an insane amount of time to cut. I mean, that's, like, you know, it's basically 50 seconds a mile. So first of all, was it, was, was that, before I get into my next question, was, was that uh, the, kind of like a, the breakout point for you in 2017? A little bit. I, um, I had just ran, I trained and ran the, um, it was in Huntington Beach. It was the Huntington Beach Marathon in, I think that was also in 2017. Um, it was right before that. And I ran, I, my goal was to qualify for Boston when I ran that race. And I okay. did. Um, and by a time that I was not even remotely expecting myself to run, and what um, was it? It was three nineteen, and I was shooting for you know, oh, that's Boston qualifying. <laughs> Thank you. I was <laughs> thrilled with it. I was like on a cloud. I was so excited. Um, you know, I was just shooting for three thirty five, and I felt good, and it was just really cool. And it was that race that I kind of was like, "Whoa!" Like I maybe I can like actually go faster. Like because <laughs> I was just kind of coaching myself at this point. You know, just was starting to get back into running and so then I actually got injured um after that race I was still just coaching myself and this tells you exactly how little I know about (laughs) actually running is I just picked this really hard seven mile loop really hilly really really hilly and I was just running that once a week I wasn't stretching I wasn't foam rolling nothing and I got injured and I, right before the race, I had to take off about a month so of running. So I really didn't run before that race. And then I ran the Encinitas half and I was just hoping that I wouldn't have to drop out because of an injury. Um, and I felt amazing. I felt really good. So hold on. So you went from, you're running how many times a week and then you had to take a month off? Uh, I was running maybe once, twice a week. Um, injured. Then you took a month off. And then you ran the Encinitas yeah, half marathon. I, I mean, I was super well rested for it because I really was just nursing that injury. So, wow. So that's um, that's not a lot of training <laughs> to run one twenty eight. Um, I don't, I don't really know what to say other than that. Um, that's that's just really good. Um, all right. So going back to your marathon though, so you had a three thirty five goal of like, hey, if I break. I get 335. I qualify for Boston. I don't have to like be the person without the without the without the um you know the bandit runner anymore right. at Boston Marathon. Um, and yet you then you run 16 minutes faster than your goal. So in retrospect, mm-hmm. now that you've gone through this this wonderful year of running, what about your training? Do you think would have been if you had done it again, it would have been a clear sign to you that you were capable of a lot faster than 335. Do you have any workouts you look back on like, hey, obviously I could have run faster than that. Look at what I did here and, and there. So you're, I feel like you're going to laugh at me. I, when I tell you that I'm like a very new runner, I mean, I'm very new. Like, I spent all my time in the pool. I really didn't do any running you know, sports as a kid, I really don't know what I'm doing <laughs> to be, to be quite honest. Um, I know because I was just kind of making it up as I went. 
it sounds so silly and a little I mean to me I was like it was crazy to me that I ran a 319 because I just was making it up I you know I was going out and again just kind of would run really hard up like a three mile hill um what once every week like I just was doing the same exact routes and there was nothing in my training I don't think that stood out to me as like you know I could have or should have gone faster because I was just kind of going on feel um you know I was listening to my body a lot and I didn't really have much in like my training log to give me a gauge I was just kind of hoping that I would run a BQ and then also tie into this talked about prior especially when you're getting ready for the 2014 boston marathon was your cross training so what did your cross training look like at this point so um always teaching spin and so i'm i think at that point i was teaching probably like four to six spin classes a week and then taking um legree fitness classes so legree is is basically cardio pilates it's like strength training meets cardio meets pilates and it's i i I think it's incredible for a runner because it's low impact, it's strength. Um, and a lot of the exercises have, you know, a lot, I think a lot to do with, you know, stability and balance, which are obviously pretty important when you're running. Um, so I was doing those classes like four, maybe five times a week. And that was kind of it. Got it. So you were getting most of your exercise on the bike. Yes. Interesting. All right. Mm-hmm. So did that change at all as you got ready for the Marine Corps Marathon? No. So I, I feel like you're going to think I'm crazy for this too. But no, are I, you kidding I, me? I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm like trying to reassess my training. I'm, I'm like, wait, what am I doing wrong? Cause this is, you're like running once a week and setting PRs. <laughs> so, um, so also for Marine Corps, so for Marine Corps, I hired a coach from McCurdy trained. His name's Pardon and God bless him. He has been so patient with me because I, Again, I'm just so new that I'm like, what's a fartlek? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? And um, so he put me on a training plan knowing that I was cross-training, you know, teaching all these spin classes and all this stuff. And I also ran for Marine Corps running about twice a week. So I really have pretty much capped out. Got it. At- was it like... So it was like a long run in a structured yeah. workout? So Is that kind of how it was? Okay. For the Marine Corps Marathon, that was when I started to get introduced to a running workout and not just going out and, you know, running to run. Um, and so now, now I feel like I actually have some knowledge and some understanding about, you know, how it works and how you could maybe predict a finish time and all of this stuff. I'm like, I get it now. But um, yeah, up until Marine Corps, I really didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> So you ran a 305 at Marine Corps. So did going into that race, were you able to settle in on like, hey, this is the pace I should be running or a range, kind of the, the pace range that you were you were looking at going into um, the race? Yeah. So I, going into that race, um, I had a goal of running under 310. And that was kind of it. And then when I got... Was that... I'm, I'm going to butt in there. So was that, is that a time that you came up with? Or is that a time that your coach looked at your training and said that he thought you were capable? It was of both, actually. So going into it, that okay. was kind of the goal I had set. And then once, um, you know, right before the race, my, my coach, he also had said, you know, I definitely think you can run a sub 310. So we went Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. So you went in. And then how did you approach the race from a pacing perspective? So I... <laughs> he kind of set me up with a really good plan to try and go in 
for the race with and I loved it and I feel like it it worked out really well so I went out just kind of trying to stay super conservative the first five miles or so um which I think for me if I can remember correctly I think that was like around like a 710 or 715 um and then it was just kind of to start to gradually pick up a little bit and maybe find people and kind of stay with them um and then it was just kind of a you know keep picking it up if you're feeling good and then by the last six miles you know just kind of go all out and that was what i did well speaking of the last six miles one of i swear to god as strange as some of this conversation is in terms of how often (laughs) you run versus the times you run which is it really is. My jaw is on the ground. If this was a, if this was a video <laughs> podcast, people would be laughing at me. Um, is, is the, the video of you seeing your family, I'm assuming <laughs> got it, of you seeing them at the, at the, around the mile 20 mark. I swear to God, before I read the text of your post, I thought this was like the beginning of the race because you were <laughs> literally hands in the air celebrating like you're speeding up you're passing people on like this like the sidewalk and you're like so excited and then i'm like wow she looks really energetic and um you know very like into it i looked i'm like this is at mile 20 i i couldn't believe my eyes so what did it feel like for you you know because usually that's the point right that's just like they always say mile 20 of the marathon is really the halfway point so how did you feel at that point and what was your mindset like going into the last 10k felt so good at that point and I I mean I truly just had like a great race and that everything just felt good um I was so happy to see my friends and my family so the reason why I actually picked that race is because my husband is a marine and he is deployed right now um so he deployed back in July and you know it was just deployment's hard (laughs) and it's like our first time going through it And he, him being gone and then just having, you know, my parents and my best friend to fly in from DC. I just remember like my heart just like test. I just felt so much love for them. And I think, I I mean, this is kind of going off topic a little bit, but I always have liked, I mean, clearly from, you know, my Boston history, I've always liked to pick races that mean something to me emotionally. And so with this race, I dedicated the last six miles, I dedicated to each, um, each mile to a different person in my wheelhouse. So my husband, um, my best friend, my parents, my brother, all those people. And so, you know, going into mile 20, I was like, well, this is when you start running for your parents and just to like see them, it was really cool. So, so did you have a mantra that you associated with each person or how did you picture them as you dedicated each mile to them? Um, so I just, you know, the night before I had kind of written out for myself and then I'd also shared it with the people who I was running for. Um, you know, I'm running this mile for you. Like, thank you, blah, 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 for, you know, just everything that you do for me. What an emotional, yeah. what an emotional experience that must have been. <laughs> It was. And it was, you know, I think it's, it's really kind of what carried me through those last six, like there were just so many points in time where, you know, everyone knows the last six miles of a race get really hard. And, you know, to then, you know, to feel how hard it was, and then to remember, you know, like, start thinking about my husband who's overseas. And, you know, that just makes you want to run 
stronger and harder. So it was really cool. Yeah, I can imagine. So you had you had big goals going to 2017 and you did yes. and you did even bigger things. So for you, we're five days away from 2018. What's on tap for you? What are you what are you thinking about for the new year? So I'm super excited for Boston. I'm running that again in April. Um, and I have my goal set trying to run a sub three. <laughs> I have a friend who she's great. She, every time I talk to her, she, she'll try and like, you know, get a seed planted in my head of how fast she thinks I can run. And she's really motivating that way. Um, and so she mentioned it to me a couple weeks ago. She's like, you can do that you can definitely do that. So I'm like, okay, she thinks I can do that. I'm going for it. So that's what I'm working towards running wise. And then my husband is actually supposed to get home from deployment the day after Boston. So I'm just super excited to then have that time and kind of see from there if I decide to run a, a fall marathon or what, but. Now what, so you given your experiences with setting goals and being able to really work towards them, and also your experience with working with a variety of different athletes, what is your advice for somebody who is thinking about the best way to approach goal setting? Hmm. Um, I think to get really clear, really specific, and to most importantly, just focus on your why. I think that is everything. I think for me personally, when I set a goal, um, I have to know why I'm working towards it. You know, when the alarm goes off at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., and you don't want to get out of your warm bed, you have to know why you're doing it, and that'll help you. So, Right. Okay. Well, before we get into the, our little last uh, last set of uh, quick questions, uh, reiterate, if anyone wants to visit your website, it's www.betterstrongertougher.com. Also, they can follow you on Instagram at the same handle, betterstrongertougher. Every time I read it, I think better, stronger, together. I don't know why. I had to, like, triple check that when I was writing it down. Um, and, all right, so we'll dive into the last bit. Uh, for, when you, for, for you, when you do run, which doesn't seem like it's very often, frankly, but when you do run, uh, headphones or no headphones? No headphones. No headphones. Wow, look at you. All right. Um, so best advice you give others that you have trouble following? Hmm. There's so I'm not there's under pausing because there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> um, let it go. Okay. Yeah, let it go. In terms Does of sound in like the girl from Frozen. <laughs> well, yes, but that's just because I watched it with my daughter tonight. Um, <laughs> so is that, that in terms of like people who are hung up on certain things? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. All right. So who motivates you? My husband. Why? Um, he he's incredible. I absolutely love him, of course. And he works really hard and he doesn't complain ever about, you know, the challenges he has going on with work. And he's just he's a really inspiring person. So he pushes me to be a better version of myself. OK, so if you. One more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year. What race would that be? The Boston Marathon. Wow, what a shocker. I <laughs> couldn't have predicted that one. <laughs> All right, uh, but this one, because you've been so consistent with the races you've run, um, what's a bucket list race that you'd like to check off? Oh, the, um, is it the Big Sur Marathon? 
No, yeah, right? The Big Sur Marathon? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. I've heard incredible things about it. I've also heard it's really hard, but. <laughs> right, so it's been incredible views. But you live, you know, you live uh, up in, uh, you know, basically between San Diego and L.A. And I, I hear great things about Carlsbad as well. Yes. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, all right, so uh, biggest hurdle you've overcome in a race, either mental and or physical? Uh, this would have to be the physical heat of Boston in 2012. And when, when, into the when in the race did it become a major challenge? Um, I think it was like mile 22 where I just was basically at a halt. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> Too hot. <laughs> All right. Last one. Who is your dream running partner? Hmm. No I offense to any of your current running partners. Right? Um, okay. So I hope she ends up listening to this, actually. She's who I was talking about before that pushes me with these time goals. Her name's Katie Barrett. Um, and we used to teach spin together in Boston and she's just, she's super inspiring and I would just love her to be my training partner. There you go. There you Natalie, go. thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do it so much. Matt, this was truly the highlight of my week and it was Christmas week. So that's saying a lot. <laughs> it sure is. My goodness. What a wonderful thing for you to say. <laughs> so much. Nat. Thank you.